Today's episode is sponsored by City Break, a one-of-a-kind puzzle-solving board game specifically designed for two players. City Break offers an incredibly strategic and tactical experience featuring unique mechanisms and components, and concurrent or nested sources of victory points allow for multiple paths to victory. You'll have to make tough and meaningful decisions and struggle to devise strategies around hidden and open information, and sometimes what seems like a victory is ultimately a failure. Experienced players can choose the extended game mode, and you can even play solo in score attack mode. So be sure to check out City Break on Kickstarter right now. And if you're looking for a quality Kickstarter marketing specialist, I recommend the folks over at Next Level Web. They charge flat fees with an easy monthly agreement, and they get serious results. Their goal is to get you funded on day one, and their rate of success for that is above 90%, regardless if you're a veteran or a first-time creator. As a client myself, I can personally attest to their quality as they have helped me raise tens of thousands of dollars for my own projects. So if your email list looks pitiful, but your game is awesome, head on over to nextlevelweb.com kickstarter and take your marketing to the next level. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about manufacturing. We're talking about manufacturing frequently asked questions and common pitfalls. And we're talking to Hirsch Gluck from Hero Time One Manufacturing over in China. Hirsch, welcome to the show. Thank you, Gabe, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, man, really glad to have you on the show. You and I have chatted back and forth online for years now, I think, uh, just about various things and, and manufacturing. And it's so good to finally have you on the show. You're a guy that started your own company. You have seen it from the ground up and you, you've you know, run into a lot of these things yourself and had to overcome obstacles as you've created this company. And now people are using your company to manufacture their board games and then send them out all over the world. So I'm just excited to talk through, you know, what are the common things people run into? What are the questions that they're asking? Because that's one thing I, I, I've run into a lot is I talk to designers, I talk to people wanting to go to Kickstarter, wanting to publish their own games, but they don't even, they don't know what they don't know. You know, they don't know what questions to even ask. They don't know the issues that they're going to run into. And so I'm excited for this podcast to really shed some light on a lot of those common issues and hopefully save people a ton of time and a ton of money in the future because they're not making these mistakes. They know what questions to ask. They know what to be thinking about when it comes to manufacturing their games. But before we get into all of that, who are you? How'd you get into manufacturing? How did you get over to China? All that kind of thing. Okay. So, um, yeah, a little bit about myself is I came to China in 2015. Uh, I was, I'm a young guy. I was 20, 24, 25, and I came here to travel. Um, I I like China quite a lot, so I decided to stay. Um, and I worked in all these odd jobs. I have some friends that did like um, uh, clothing and and whatnot. And then one day, my brother, who is also a game designer, he said, um, "Hirsch, I want to make my first game. Right? Um, can you help me find a manufacturer? Can you help me produce it?" And I was in China and I said, you know what, why not? I love games as well. We we developed this game together many, many years ago. So let me do my best. And I started, I went like all over China, honestly. I went to like, I don't know, North, 
middle, um, east, wherever it is, everywhere, wherever there was a printing factory, wherever there was a, a, a card game factory, until I found one place. Um, when I found that place, you know, I had so many questions because I, I like to understand everything that, that happens. So, and nobody, and I, I was asking everyone these questions and no one, no salesperson, not even some production managers could answer me. And that really, really bothered me. Um, and, and then I was thinking about it, how many, you know, games there are there and how many game designers asking the same questions that I'm asking and don't know the answers to. Um, and that's where I said, you know what, there's a lot of room in this industry. There's a lot of things that we need to improve. Um, and I decided to take this upon myself. Um, and, and that was a beginning. So my next step was to find someone I can trust who can be a very, very good production manager. Um, and then I came across uh, my partner right now, Yang Libin, who we built the company together from scratch, where he was dealing with all the production and actual managing everything, and especially print. And for me, dealing with the explanation of it and, and showcasing it to everyone. Um, so yeah, that's how Hero Time started. It was a process. We opened it in 2018. Uh, 2018 and the end of 2018 and two years later um, I'm very very happy with the result and I think like I, I think I'm helping a lot of game designers and I'm quite happy about that yeah now I know that there are a lot of manufacturers in China obviously like that's majority of the world's goods of, of all categories comes out of China it seems like and so what would be your advice for finding the right fit what are some things to to think about what are the questions I need to have ready to ask you know these different companies how do I get a quote like all the give me like the quick two minute synopsis summary of like finding the right company to work with in two minutes eh <laughs> ish um, two minutes ish <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, okay. The, the first thing we need to understand is, and that was also a huge shock for me, was that board games are not at all like like any other products out there in the market. Okay. Um, every board game is different. Every print run is different. You know, it's not like I'm making a piece of clothes or making even a car. You know, all the materials, all the pieces are exactly the same as designed, uh, all by molding. Nothing varies uh, with board games and print and gluing and cutting. All these processes are, even if they, some of them are automated for some larger quantities, but for the smaller quantities, most of them are done by hand, right? Manually. So um, a lot goes into that. And you really need somebody over there that cares about the specific product, the uh, about the specific game to make sure it comes out perfect. Um, even if you make a sample, for example, right? Or even if you do mass production, some games within that uh, within that that print run will come out slightly different. Um, so that's why I'm saying board games are a little more complicated. And the key thing will be to find someone who understands your products and has the ability to control how it will come out. Yeah, absolutely. And I would also add in communication, you know, having somebody that can communicate with you in English, <laughs> preferably, <laughs> right? If you speak English, um, I know I've run into both situations of having a really just not so great project manager who made a ton of mistakes 
that then I had to pay for on the back end with customers and, and having to fix things and whatever. And I've had a really amazing project manager who has saved me time and saved me money because she understood what I was trying to accomplish and, and just did a great job. And so I think it's not only finding the right fit when it comes to the company that you're going to work with, but also finding the right fit with their customer service, with the person who's going to be your liaison or be on the ground in your case, you know, in China, or at least someone that can, can help bridge the gap. Is, so it's also finding that person. But would you agree? Uh, definitely, definitely. I mean, the liaison is crucial because he's the one who understands your game, and then he needs to communicate it uh, with a production team. So having a good liaison is is crucial. Now, another thing to remember is, and, and, and something to understand is, a lot of liaisons they're not connected to the production team. A, a lot of times it happens in very, very big companies if they don't implement the right processes um, that, you know, you have a salesperson, he's talking to the creator, he understands the game, but then he has no control over what's happening in the production line or he doesn't have direct communication with the production manager. So he will need, the salesperson will need to talk to his manager, his manager to the production manager, and then the production, and so there are too many there are two lines, they're too much, you know, word of, like one person talking to the other, talking to the next, talking to the next one. Um, so, so I think that's even, I mean, having a, a person that you can trust and understand your game is a must. But that person also needs to have full control over what's happening at the production line. Yeah, definitely something to to think about, to be aware of. I know in my own case, just a bit of a horror story. So I sent the files to be printed and the one of the files was for the box and they sent back a digital proof and it looked great. And um, the box in the front and the back, the sides, everything looked good. It had all the right information. And then they printed a whole bunch of copies. Uh, but the project manager I had sent an empty file basically. And so the entire back of the box was just blank for the first however many they printed. And it was like, huh? Okay. Hmm. <laughs> so, you know, you just, you got to find the right fit as far as a, a competent person that's going to help, you know, make sure your game looks as, as excellent as you hope it to be as customers are going to, as Kickstarter backers are going to expect it to be. It's just something to, to be aware of. Uh, anything else for people to think about or questions they need to th- ask or anything when it comes to finding the right manufacturer? Yeah. And this is such an important point. I mean, uh, you, you, you don't have to use me per se, but I've seen online a lot of people, uh, there was a specific post where a successful publisher, I forgot who it was, uh, put down three quotes for reference of other of different production teams. And then he was saying, look at this, cus- this company is better at making cards. That company is better at making uh, boxes, you know? And because because in our days, uh, factories give you a price breakdown of every component, right? So they don't tell you the whole order is, I don't know, the whole order is $10,000. No, they tell you the box is a dollar. Uh, this is $2, you know, uh, the wood meeples are 40 cents, whatever it is, right? And, and then you can see a breakdown of all the prices. That person came in, showed the quotes and said, that factory card price was 10 cents lower. Um, so, and then he was, maybe we need to find a way how we can take components from different locations. And it, it, it doesn't work that way. That, that price breakdown, uh, manufacturers you usually give creators just for them to have for reference as what they, 
like the price of each component. Uh, but in reality, um, their profit is included inside. Some of the fixed costs are uh, separated by different components. So it's it's not like exact price per component. You see, it's it's manufacture. We right now when when we execute a project, it's a price per project. We just break it down for the creators to understand more or less how much each component costs. So if you see that you, if you, if you think, hmm, I wish the, the price of cards would have been a little bit lower. I wish the price of, uh, I, I, like some creators, listen, I love, I love working with this, with you, you know, I I love the communication. I love everything, but your price is 20 cents higher. I can't afford it. For those creators, I'd say, no problem. We'll lower it by 20%. So it's, it's not exact science. It's not, oh, this is the exact price and nothing can be done about it. Okay. So a lot of creators need to understand this part um, because they, 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 they don't get it. I, I mean, they, it was it wasn't clearly communicated to them, so they they don't realize this is the case. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And actually, let's let's keep ta- traveling down this road and, and talking about how costs are involved and how prices are affected and whatnot. Let's talk about the size and the number of things. I know in our email and back and forth, you were, you were telling me about like the sheet size affects costs and the number of individual components, number of cards, all that kind of stuff. So give me like a breakdown of what I need to be thinking about, what I need to understand as far as it comes into like size of things and quantities of things when it comes to cards and boxes and token sheets and tiles, that kind of stuff. Tell me about that. Okay. Um, This is the backbone of the whole, of of the whole production of board games. Okay. So this is so important to know. And uh, it took me, it took me a long time to understand myself um, and to be able to kind of standardize everything. So it makes sense uh, easily. But there are so many different types of machines and tools that we can use, okay? Uh, a board game factory doesn't necessarily have everything in-house because if you are cutting uh, coins or tokens and if you're cutting a map tile, if you're cutting a box, all these can use different types of machines for cutting. A factory cannot necessarily have all these machinery um, every different quantities require different machinery as well. So, so in China, the way it works, I'm sorry, I'm giving a little bit of a, of a background to it. Uh, but I think it's necessary to understand in China, the way it works is by industrial zone, basically. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Borgen factory, but then around me, there are hundreds of different, uh, places that do different parts of the of the production so for example if i want to make puzzles i need a specific cutting machines for puzzles i don't have it so i need to go to that person next door to cut the puzzles okay so imagine one industrial zone that has hundreds of different machinery to use each board game depending on its size requires different machinery okay so um, you have the standard machines, but then sometimes you, you have these unique ones. And, and so, and this is how we basically work on the board games. Okay. Even a big factory, a humongous factory will have a printing machine, will have the uh, coding machine, might have cutting machine. Um, but even they have to outsource some parts of the production. Uh, because board games vary so much with print, with lamination, with material. Uh, 
every board game is unique almost. Okay. So this is, this is the first thing we need to understand. Now from here, if I, I need to categorize, and this is what I've been working on for a long time. I need to categorize which machinery to use when. Okay. And this is really the art. And this is the part where Young Nabeen really, 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 really helped, um, uh, fixing. Um, so what we came up with is like this. We can buy a piece of paper, right? So we go to the fact, we go to the paper mill. We say, I want a piece of paper to print. He gives me a large sheet of paper. Okay. Usually that sheet of paper is around 90, 88 centimeters on, on 110 centimeters, uh, whatever it is in inches. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. Um, but he gives me that sheet of paper. From this sheet of paper, I come and I cut it to the sizes I need. Okay. And there are three basic sizes. Uh, and these sizes correspond to specific printing machines. Okay. And then with it also cutting machines and so forth and so on. Um, but there's three specific sizes. If I cut this paper to 12 or to eight, we will have from one piece of paper, 12 pieces of paper, 12 smaller pieces of paper or eight smaller pieces of paper. Um, so we can cut it into eight, four and two. And for each one of those, um, we will use a different printing machine, varying costs. Okay. Each different, the bigger machines cost a lot more money. Okay. Um, the smaller machines cost less. If we do tokens, um, you need to make it a very small sheet. So you will use a very small printing machine, small cutting machine, but with a lot of uh, weight on it, um, a smaller lamination machine if you're doing it or coding it. Um, so uh, we will use everything for the smaller sheets, medium sheets, and large sheets. And, and that's the foundation of all the production uh, and, and pricing around it. So you as a game designer, if you if you go over that specific size of paper, right? So if we cutting the paper into eight and, and you go by two centimeters beyond that eight, we need to use the, the four, the medium size paper for printing and then end cutting and everything else. So you basically for two centimeters, for an inch of a difference, you losing a bunch of money. So, and so the biggest pitfall for game designers, they really need to understand this part and they need to know, okay, I'm using this size sheet and I'm limited by these dimensions. I cannot pass them. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, basically that's, that's it. In a, yeah. Gotcha. And that's information that you can just reach out and say, Hey, how many cards, if I'm doing like regular poker size cards, how many cards fit on a sheet? And it might be 18 or 54 or like whatever the number is, they can get back to you and tell you, and then you can kind of go from there. Right. So you want to make sure that if it's, you know, if 54 cards fit on a sheet, well, don't make your game have 57 cards, like find a way to get rid of those three. Is that kind of what you need to be thinking? Exactly. Exactly. That's why I will, I'm also saying, when you're a game designer, you got to start talking to the production team very, very early on. Because a lot of times what happens is a guy reaches out to me and like, Hirsch, can you quote for me this game? And I'm looking at the game and I'm like, oh my God, it's impossible to make. And it's such a waste of money. So you sometimes designers, they just need to have that information when they design their game. They need to take it into consideration um, to know their own limits. And, and build their games according to that. Um, so you can choose any manufacturer you like. Okay. Even, uh, and honestly, even big publishers don't have that information per se. Okay. So 
So they need to reach to their manufacturer and ask them, okay, what is the size? What is the maximum size I can use for tokens? What is the maximum size or sizes I can use for bo uh, playing board? What are the sizes for boxes? Where is the limit of the box size? Um, cards, how many cards fit in the, in each sheet? If I'm making map tiles, what is the most cost effective size for map tiles? I mean, people can go to the production, to their manufacturer of their choosing and ask for that information in return. Some manufacturers will be able to respond, uh, some, uh, some not. Yeah. And now we'll talk about shipping a little bit more in, in just a minute, but another thing for designers and publishers to be aware of is the size of your box also as it relates to shipping. Because if you have a really heavy box, but here in the United States, if it if that box will fit into a flat rate shipping box through the USPS, you might be able to save yourself $2, $3 on shipping. And if you have a thousand Kickstarter backers, all of a sudden $3 per, per box turns into $3,000. And so it's also just being aware of the shipping and like how many games fit in a carton, how many games fit on a pal? I think that's also something to think about as far as your, your box size. But again, that's something your manufacturer can hopefully help you with. Help you with, and we'll talk more about shipping in just a minute. Before we get into that, though, is there anything else you want to talk about as far as like common questions or common pitfalls that publishers run into when it comes to cards, token sheets, quantities, all that kind of stuff? Um, the next big big issue that we have is is factories is artwork. Um, a lot of the artwork is not done properly, um, and 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 that really makes it a, a lot more difficult. Um, a big thing that bothers that is difficult for me to handle um, is, for example, borders. <laughs> I mean, I, I know it's such a, a a minuscule thing in game design, but a lot of designers like to have borders around their cards. I mean, it's possible you can do it, but there are a lot you need to understand that everything again is mostly done manually right um so there will be errors of even automatically there's errors of margin um autom automatic machines have like a 1.5 millimeter error of margin uh, manual labor has anywhere between three and five depending on which process we're talking about but but there are errors of margin and then when you add a border to a card or to a box or to a token um, there's a high chance it will not come out perfect because a border is very clearly, uh, you can very easily see, oh, well, the border on this side is a little thinner than the border on that side. And that gives it like the impression of, oh, this game wasn't produced well. You know, while all you should have done is change your artwork a little bit to facilitate for that errors of margin. Um, that's another example for like design, like if I will look at designing a board game, I would personally recommend against borders, okay? Um, aside from that, you have artwork. Artwork is so crucial. I mean, everything is about artwork and making sure it prints well. Colors are so important, especially for board games. I mean, this is what the industry, you know, we need to make sure printing is comes out flawless and with vibrant colors. If your artwork com is muddy, um, has too much color in it, isn't set properly, issues will arise. So um, I would just take those two things into consideration as well when you design a board game. Yeah, for sure. Now, what's your advice as far as like files and sending the right files? And I know CMYK versus RGB when it comes to the, the color 
what what's your advice as far as like actually sending the art files to make sure everything works well and looks good? Uh, that's uh, this is such a such an extensive extensive topic. Um, I've actually been working on in the past uh, three four months. Uh, to build a whole playlist of 20 videos that cover specific issues that I found in files that were sent to me um, and just explaining to creators how to fix those issues. So uh, we reached like uh, video 14 or something, but there will be 20 videos in the series to explain each and every single thing. Um, uh, one of the bigger, most important things, I mean, one of the biggest issues that I find and I mean, this can happen also to like experienced creators is, uh, oh, there's, there's a lot. So the, the biggest ones is I'd say effects, right? So you, you put an element or an icon into your cart and then you say, oh, I wish uh, there was a little shadow on the back. So you had a shadow effect. And then you say, you know what? Uh, I also want a little bit of glow. So you add uh, you add another glow kind of effect on the side. And then you say, uh, the glow and the shadows, they don't really work well together. Let me add a third effect of of like masking, you know, where it's like they kind of blend together. And and then you end up with, you know, one file that has hundreds of different layers of effects. Um, and if I take that file and print it, I mean, for sure, the glow will move by accident. Okay, um, when when I'm creating the the, the printing plates, I'm, I, I need to convert all the lines created by the artwork to the plate, and and then I also need to uh, you know create a mock of the color itself on the plate. So having files that are very very clearly layered um, and all the layers that can be flattened and combined to one. Uh, are flattened and, and extremely clear is crucial. Okay, um, this is something like you can have all the text in one layer. You have the, all the background colors if it's gradient or whatever in a, in a separate layer. All the icons uh, in a third layer, and just flatten them to make sure there there are not any raw and dynamic layers out there. Okay, don't flatten everything to one. Uh, keep it so you know we can we can easily manage it. But but yeah, uh, that's the biggest issue I think. That, that a lot of creators have. And then some of them will say, you know what, too many layers, I'll export it at PNG, and they send a PNG. But the problem with PNG is we cannot change, we cannot change it if we need. Or if your piece by accident uh, comes out of the cutting line or, or the margin line, we need to change it and we can't. Um, so, um, so yeah, I personally prefer give me a dynamic one uh, with separate layers but all the layers that are related to each part are combined into one, so I don't lose any of the information you sent. Um, so that's my personal recommendation. Some factories, they like to work with PNG, and they don't change anything. Um, send us a PNG, we'll print it as is. Any issues pop up, it's not our fault. Um, some factories work in that way, which is, I mean, I understand why they do it. Uh, some, some factories want to give a hand a little bit in the artwork and making sure it comes out good um, so they will do that but yeah there's a lot to go into um, into artwork artwork is a whole different world and and you can have the most amazing graphic designer but still when you come to print it's different printing actual cmyk colors is different than web arts or you know uh, design or whatever it is you do so yeah you know, it's it's so extensive i had to create a whole series for it 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll have a link to that series in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and you want to see those videos, just go to the website and you'll be able to find the link there. All right. So a ton of great information. Let's switch gears and let's talk about shipping. Let's talk about logistics, especially right now. The world is still weird. International shipping is still a mess. Supply chains are still disrupted. And so give me your, your top tips or your, your main questions or main pitfalls you're, you're seeing people fall into when it comes to shipping and logistics right now. <laughs> shipping is, is, is another whole world, right? Um, so one of the biggest pitfalls is people think they need to send everything to one location. I'd say if, if you were to, if you were to ask me um, the biggest issue. So people think, Oh, I'll need to, I need to get my games. Then I need to send a few games to a fulfillment center in the U S I need to send a few games to a fulfillment center in Canada and so forth and so on. Um, I'd say sending from China to all these different countries is much better and much easier. Uh, that's number one uh, misconception. Number one that I, I would like to break over here. A uh, second one is, um, yeah. Oh, this is the bigger. Okay. So the reason why they think that is because they want to use pallets. And when you use pallets and regular shipping, it's all by, I mean, I mean, it just takes a lot more space and it makes a lot more sense to send to one location. Okay. So I'd say, Pallets are not necessarily the most important, crucial part of shipping. And then break down your shipping to different locations, to the most strategic locations for you. Okay, I'd say these two things are are, are the things that you should focus on to avoid pitfalls. All right, so when you talk about strategic locations, are you saying like different fulfillment centers around the world, like maybe one in the UK, in the US, Australia? Is that what you're saying? Exactly, yes, yes. Or even within the U.S., uh, you can have different ones. So you can have you, you you're doing fulfillment by Amazon. You know, you're selling your game on Amazon, and you have the Kickstarter fulfillment that you want to fulfill through um, a, a separate location, a separate uh, fulfillment center. And then you have the games you want to keep at your house, right? So in this scenario, don't send everything to you and then split it up because shipping within the U.S. will cost you a fortune. Better to send it directly from China to those different locations. Okay. And then help me understand a little bit more about not using pallets because, I mean, all all I've ever done is put a bunch of games in cartons, put the cartons on pallets, put the pallets onto a shipping container and go from there. And so tell me what some of these other options are that don't use pallets to do all that. Okay. So um, this is something that I personally have. Um, I I don't know if other uh, logistic providers have this, these options, but um, I'll just tell you what I have, and probably you can find this solution also somewhere else. I'm, uh, I'm not the only one who has a solution, right? W- when you ship out games, you can ship in two, in two ways. You can ship by CBN. Basically, that is a standard shipping, okay? Shipping by, by this volume the, the merchandise takes in, in a container, okay? That's the first option of shipping. Um, so they say one pallet is around two CBN, right? One pallet, two meters, uh, like six six feet high, is two CBN. Um, so then you put a pallet in a container and you ship it by volume. Okay, this is all good and well for very, 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 very heavy games. Um, 
of five pounds and up or two kilos and up. Real quick, what is CBM? Uh, a cubic cubic meter. CBM is a cubic meter. It's a, a meter on meter on meter. So it's like a cool. whole cube of just one meter height, length, and, and width. And, and that's how they calculate the space it takes in a, in a container. So a 20-foot container will have uh, 26, around 26 CBM. And then a 40-foot container will have around uh, 60, 60 CBM. And, and then whatever space you take within that container, you pay for. Gotcha. Okay. Now keep going. Uh, other shipping methods, other things to think about? Yeah. So this is the first type of shipping method. And this shipping method is very, very expensive because each C- each merchandise belongs to someone else within the container. And that's someone else. What he has to do is, you know, you need to declare the customs in China. You need to ship it to the to the port in China. Then they need to up, upload your specific merchandise into the container um, and make sure it stays separate, right? And then it reaches the US the US port and you got up or whatever port it is and you not you got to apply for the uh, ISF files telling the port it arrived, you get the arrival notice. Everything that is done is done for that specific volume you booked in the container. Okay. And there, so there are many, there are a lot of fixed costs over there. I'm looking at around a thousand dollars fixed costs. Just, just that, just, just for, you know, all the um, communication between all the ports and the shipping and the freight and whatnot. It, it comes out to be around a thousand dollars, um, fixed costs for that. And, and because you have such high costs of fixed costs, it makes sense to send everything to one location. So you at least save money on the actual shipment. But the second option of shipping is uh, finding a, a, a company that ships out a whole container by itself. This container belongs to this company. And then you put, you give your goods to this company and this company just, you know, they have all these goods, they ship them on containers and they send out to whichever destination it goes. So there are no fixed costs for your specific volume that you booked. You see the difference? Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And so is this the method you would recommend? I would, if for small, for small designers, definitely, because there are no fixed costs. The only downside of that is that it's charged per kilo. Uh, So like one kilo is like 2.2 pounds, right? So it's charged per kilo. Um, Just to give you an idea, uh, the U.S., for example, right now is kind of expensive, uh, so it'll be like three point seven dollars per kilo. Um, it varies uh, U.K., U.S., uh, U.K., E.U. will be around also like three point five, three point eight. Um, it always varies, but it, it it's not so expensive because you can now break down your shipment two hundred games to this location, five hundred games to that location, three hundred games to that location, and so forth and so on. You can split your shipment however you want. There are no there are no fixed costs you gotta pay for the shipping. Um you only pay per game you ship. And the best part of this is it all includes duty and VAT because the company that it deals with, you know, importing all these containers, they don't register your goods as your goods, and you need to clear them at customs. These goods belong to the company that imports 20, 30 containers every month 
to EU, EU or UK, and they and your goods are getting cleared by customs through that company. So you don't even need to think about duty and VAT. Um, and, and, and I think that's the best part for 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 new game creators. Um, I, I, it might be a little too technical to understand, but I hope I made it clear. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it makes sense, and it's also again making things simpler. Which, if you're a new publisher, if you haven't done this very many times, or if you're just by yourself trying to figure it all out and you've got a million other things to do, it makes sense to do things as simply as possible and not only as, as cost-effective as possible. Now, is this the kind of stuff that a manufacturer typically handles? Or do some manufacturers do, some don't? I might have to hire a logistics company or a shipping company to do this. Tell me about that. Um, no. Uh, standard manufacturers, they only do manufacturing. Um, but for me... Since day one, when I opened the company, I I thought it needs to be again because I'm coming I'm coming from that from that side. You know, it's my brother, right? My brother's a game designer, and I needed I needed to make sure he's happy and he has everything he needs. So when when we started working on his first few games, I was like, okay, you know, he he's dealing with the design and everything. He needs me to take care of everything else. So everything that fell within that category of everything else, else, that's what I took upon myself. Um, and I think that's what other creators also need. So it, it just happened that I, I said to myself, okay, for a creator, it's not enough to deal with manufacturing. You also got to give him the best options for, for logistics. And think about it. Uh, if I do, you know, if I ship out 10, 10 different shipments every month, I mean, my credit score, so to speak, with those different import companies is a lot higher than individual creator contacting them. I mean, if an individual co- creator goes to that company and says, oh, uh, please import my stuff, they'll say, who are you? We don't know you. Leave us alone. Uh, while, you know, if I send them a container to every month, they pay a lot more attention to me. So it, from, I think it just made a lot more sense to me to solve those issues for creators um, so instead of them like running like headless chickens all around trying to figure out so many different things beyond, you know, their game mechanics, their game design, um, uh, launching a Kickstarter, getting funded and all that stuff, they need somebody to handle all the stuff that are just beyond the capabilities they have. Um, so uh, when I opened Hero Time, it just made a lot more sense to me to, I'm, I mean, I, I just needed to do this to solve yeah. issues of, of game creators. Uh, so it's not something a manufacturer is supposed to do, but it's something that I would like to help with. Um, gotcha. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I know one thing you've mentioned in the past is using trains. Like right now, international shipping over water with those big cargo ships is just a nightmare. And so tell me how a, a publisher could use a train to maybe get their games to Europe or the UK, especially faster and maybe for cheaper. Yeah. So, so it's the exact same method that I, that I mentioned before, where, where we work with a, with a different company that delivers all the goods to, uh, you know, under their name to all these different locations and they use trains to send to Europe and UK. So um, like four years ago or, there were no trains at all. Everything was by by sea and by port. Um, and you have all these ocean ports and very high fixed costs. Um, and, and once the train lines uh, started, you know, uh, coming out, that's when these companies said, you know, we can actually consolidate, like really consolidate everything into 
uh, one name and send it out. So they send them by train to all these, to EU and UK. Um, they also have a special method for, for the US because the US has to be by boat, but there's a special method they use for that. Um, but for the EU and UK, uh, in all of Asia, basically, they, they will use they will use a train system instead, um, and that's why it's priced per kilo as well. That's why it's priced per weight, not per volume, because these locations by train, uh, the train, the train, the train charges per weight. The train doesn't care how much volume they take; they care how much electricity it costs to to run, you know, that train. So uh, the the more the heavier it is, the more expensive it becomes. Gotcha. Okay. That's, that could be a viable option. Yeah, it is. It's I, I, For small creators, I think it's the only viable option. I mean, uh, you in the U.S., you have backers in the U.K. What are you going to do? You're going to open now a tax account in the U.K. and get an EROI just to import your stuff into into the U.K. or into Germany? There's no way for for small publishers to, to, to reach so many... Uh, small nuance stuff um in these solutions are what helps them manage that basically yeah absolutely all right is there anything else you want to highlight when it comes to shipping or logistics or anything along those lines yeah a fulfillment uh fulfillment is 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 also very very important so a, a lot of games they well, creators don't really do that, but uh, some creators try to limit themselves onto only to a specific country where they live. Right, so it would be easier for them to fulfill, but fulfillment is not a scary thing. Um, you can fulfill directly from China. Um, what I've done actually in the past two months, I I signed up, I signed like customs agreement with the EU and UK that I pay all the duty and VAT, and then I simply send games directly from China to the backers there. You see, so uh, I mean, I can also send to the US, but. If the back, if the designer is in the U.S., it makes more sense that he fulfills himself. Um, but you know, you can cover worldwide. You, you don't need to worry about where the backer is from. Just advertise your game worldwide, and 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 you send it to them from China, um, which is not too expensive. I mean, unless your game is over two kilos, then it's a different price bracket, and and it's problematic. For lighter games, um, you can you can advertise worldwide easily get backers from wherever country you want, however many you want, and you can send them all directly from China. You don't need to jump through loops of what am I going to do with those backers and how am I going to promise them free duty and VAT and whatnot or friendly shipping. How's it? So I'd say, I'd say that for, for lighter games, uh, you can feel free to advertise worldwide with ease. Gotcha. All right, let's uh, move on. All right, gotcha. Let's move on to talk about safety testing and all the regulations and all the kind of stuff you got to have on the back of your box that says, hey, you know, my game is safe for people to use. It's not going to kill anybody with lead poisoning or anything like that. So I know there's a lot of questions around that. So tell me about what I, what a manufacturer is going to do, what do I need to ask, all that as far as safety testing and, and that kind of thing. A lot of people come to me and ask, uh, do you have a safety certificate? But it's the wrong question to ask. Because there are some certificates that check production processes, okay? And if they're friendly for the workers or if they have a bathroom on each floor and whatnot, those ESO, some of those ESO uh, standards, um, those are not what you need to look for, 
okay, you need to make sure your game is safe for kids uh, if, if, you, if that's your target market, right? And asking a manufacturer, do you have a safety certificate, uh, doesn't really help because each product needs to have its certificate. It's not up to the manufacturer to have a certificate. It's each specific product, each specific distributor needs to have a certificate, needs to have a certificate. even more than that. The same product, two print runs also need to have, theoretically speaking, each print run should have its own certificate. Okay? Um, so that's a, that's a big mistake that people make. Okay? Um, that's a, but it's not saying that, if, that, a, that you should not ask the manufacturer for a safety certificate. You need to make sure that the, that the components of that manufacturer pass all safety regulations before you start producing your game with them, okay? Because what will happen is you produce your game with them, all nice and good. You send it to the safety You send it to the safety testing lab, and it doesn't pass. So before you work with them, you got to make sure, okay, um, all the raw materials used by this company pass all safety regulations, and then you start working with them. Mass production com it was completed. You send your games to the safety testing lab, and then you get uh, your certificate under your name, you know, under the designer's name. Because when you go to Amazon and upload your product on Amazon, Amazon wants to see that this game passes or this product passes all safety regulations, and you need to show them a certificate for that specific game. Okay, you cannot send them, oh, this is the manufacturer. The manufacturer's materials are okay. Amazon will not buy that. They will want to see the specific game passes. Um, same goes, not only Amazon. Um, some European countries like Denmark and Sweden, uh, Netherlands, they have very high standards for imports. So they also want to see safety that, that you know games pass all the safety regulations before they import them into the country. So for those Northern European countries, you also want to make sure that your factory, um, wh whoever you choose, passes all safety standards uh, for that specific country. Yeah. Gotcha. And now I know there are lots of different types of safety testing. Some you need, some you don't. And so which are the ones I, I want to make sure I have and which are the ones I, I, I don't need? Okay. That, that's also an, an amazing question to, to ask. Um, so we have the U.S., right? So up to three, four years ago, the U.S. didn't care at all about product safety. Uh, funny enough, uh, very weird. Um, and then some issues with China happened. Some products caused uh, some damage to people and regulations started to tighten up. So the U.S. regulations for children's products are called um, ASTM. Okay, ASTM is for the U.S. Um, you have ASTM, CPA, CPIA, um, and and they basically tested the, the 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 physical attributes of the product pass regulation. So it's not going to cut kids. It's not going to you know kids are not going to swallow it and, and choke. Um, you know that, that's a basic one. And then you have flammability. You know the the, the product is not going to uh, pick up flames if you play it next to you know um, in your house in the kitchen, right? It's not going to suddenly start burning up. Um, uh, by the way, that can happen with uh, heavy, uh, if, if there's a lot of petrol in the ink. Um, and then the third one is testing all these heavy metals and lead that go into different coating, uh, different uh, ink, different colors, even paper. You have all these heavy metals that go into that. 
Um, above that, uh, like I was saying, you have the CPSIA, which is um, other different heavy metals and other different uh, solubles that go into uh, the specific uh, materials that is used. Um, now, this is a basic understanding. This is the basic of everything, right? So the EU will have also uh, its safety standards, which are testing more or less the same stuff, right? But they also have like, so they will test the, the physical attributes, the flammabilities, the chemical concentration in all the materials. And then they will also say, okay, if you have ink, we also want REACH, uh, which stands for something. <laughs> and they test for that as well. Um, so each country, Canada now came out with its own very, very recently. UK separated from the EU and now they have their own tests. Australia and New Zealand used to be part of the international uh, community of uh, international standards, but now they have their own. Um, so you have all these different countries and wherever you're selling your game, you want to make sure that you have the safety tests for that specific country. Now, another... Um, within these countries, there are some variants. So for example, sharp edges. If you have sharp edges in your game, you will not be able to sell to get a certificate in the EU. Okay? For any game under the age of 14 in the EU, if you have sharp edges in it, you, you will not be able to sell your game you, to get a certificate for your game. Um, in the US, sharp edges are okay for from 8 and up. Okay? Um, so... Uh, another another difference will be, uh, for example, in the U.S. now, they want to have the warning on the front of the box if your game is for six and under. So if you want to get a certificate for a game for children six years and, and under, uh, you need to have the warning in the front, and the warning needs to be a specific, a very, very, very specific side, uh, size and color. So... There, there are some variants between all these countries. Um, CE or UKCA, you will need to have the icon of UKCA in the box. Okay. Um, and it has to be a specific size. It cannot be whatever you want. Um, so there are some variants between the different countries, but generally speaking, um, all of these countries have, um, the same requirements basically. And, and that is also a big advantage, by the way, because that means if, if I go to the most strict, to the strictest, uh, uh, certificate like the CE, and I passed all their tests. I almost covered all the other tests in all the different countries. You see, I don't need to double test now. Also for US ASTM, like the the physical uh, attributes, because I already passed the CE. I will only need to test uh, lead, which isn't included in the CE. So. Um, it, that, that's the beauty of it. Basically, you know, it, it will cost you, let's say, like seven hundred dollars to to get a CE, but then it will only cost you another two hundred dollars for every additional country you take. Okay, so um, you you need to figure out which countries you want to sell in. You want to figure out what is the requirements in that specific country, and then you need to make sure the manufacturer raw materials pass all safety regulations, um, and then in mass production you get a safety certificate from the testing lab. And, and and that's basically that, yeah. Okay, gotcha. All right, so let's uh, let's change gears once again. Let's talk to okay. let's talk about one of the things that messes up a lot of people, messes up a lot of publishers, and that is stretch goals. And 
all of a sudden the game I thought was going to cost $10 per copy to manufacture. Now it costs 14 and I just messed myself up. Tell me about that. Tell me how I should approach stretch goals when it comes to talking to the manufacturer, how I should figure things out before the campaign, preferably and not on the fly. So tell me your, your best practices as far as stretch goals. Um, okay. So the idea of stretch goals is um, kind of an underlying concept is you want to make sure the stretch goals don't add too much money on your product. So stretch goals, not add-ons. Add-ons are different, right? But but stretch goals need to be something that you can fit within the constraints of your current game. So for example, if you took two sheets of, of paper, right, and, and you have up to 128 cards uh, for white paper, you, you want to do, okay, the base game will have 110 cards. A stretch goal will be an additional 18 cards. So you got a stretch goal for free, you know, and you don't have to pay for it and it's within the constraint. But if, if your base game has 128 cards and then you add those five cards now in the production team, you got to open up a whole new uh, printing plate uh, for this specific component. Uh, the same goes. So, so you always want to make sure your stretch goals are within the constraints uh, of your game. Um, the most common ones are like linen finish. Linen finish is peanuts. Yeah. It's so easy to make. Um, it's it's just adding another one process to an existing game. Okay, it doesn't require of you uh, require from the factory to do anything to open any other like uh, I don't know if you know what I mean. It doesn't require the factory to like do extra. Um, like all the mold, all the cutting molds they're building, all the the printing plates they're making, all these because it's all comes in in in, in fixed costs per project, right? So you don't want to. I mean, you can add like UV spot, UV print, or UV coating on on top of a box. That's just an additional process you do, but it doesn't change the game itself. One once you go into oh, uh, let me change the size of the box. So I'm going to make a bigger box. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's when okay everything starts shifting, um, and it becomes a problem. And the same, actually, this last part of the box also uh, leaks into add-ons as well. Many times in add-ons, you're changing the physical attributes of the game itself um, instead of adding stuff that you can add on top of the game. Okay, so. Um, yeah, stuff like that. Uh, it's definitely something to be aware of going in, not to be halfway through your campaign and go, oh, we should do this new thing because all the backers want it. It's like, yeah, well, all the backers might also be bankrupting your company. <laughs> so make sure you have a plan on the front end. Make sure you have a good relationship with your project manager at the manufacturer that you can say, hey, I got this idea, but how much is it going to cost? Definitely don't start promising so stuff until you understand how it's going to affect your game exactly. financially. And also adding the weight and, and understanding how it's going to affect your shipping and your fulfillment because you just added a bunch of new tokens and cards and dice and metal coins. And all of a sudden, your game jumped into a, a couple of new brackets for shipping and it's a whole lot more expensive than what you thought it would be. And so, yeah, just things to be aware of and to plan ahead. All right. This has been great. Hirsch, uh, anything else, anything we kind of left out or anything you want to highlight before we close things out? No, I think, uh, I think we pretty much covered everything, everything I, I thought we would, and I'm quite surprised by it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds good to me. Well, uh, in that case, uh, where can people find you? So they're listening to you. They're saying, hey, I want to reach out and get a quote from Hero Time One Manufacturing. How can people do that? Where can they find you online? Um, so you can go into Google and type Hero Time Manufacturing. Um, even 
hero time, I think it, it will pop up um, on the first page or second page or wherever it is, um, but it will pop up on Google. Uh, we used to have a Facebook account, um, but Facebook for some reason disabled the account like two days ago, which is kind of weird. And, and, and yeah, just go online. You can hero time one.com and, 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 you will go to the homepage. You can book a call. I, I made it very easy so people can just go on the website now and, and book a call. Um, because on a call, you can get everything done a lot faster. Um, me or, you know, anyone who works with Hero, in Hero Time, uh, you, you talk to them. They understand your projects very, very clearly. They design it according to your specifications. Um, on one call, you can finish understanding all the shipping, all the fulfillment, all the sizes, all the add-ons, all the stretch goals. I just think it's a lot easier than back and forth with emails for, for three months. Um, so, uh, yeah, so you just go on the website and you book a call. Um, also on YouTube, I, I will send, I will send some links also maybe uh, to you with like the specific materials that people can, like we, I built now a whole tools and services kind of, uh, database where people can have access to a bunch of stuff that like the labeling yeah for each different for safety testing that is very very detailed stuff you need to have a guide for that um the artwork guide um, there are a few stuff that if you need some real resources for that uh, we can also add it to the link over there in the conversation or something um, yeah, yeah absolutely well Hirsch, this has been excellent so i really appreciate your time really appreciate you joining me here on the show good luck with continuing the manufacturing business and bringing in more clients and everything else you got going on right now I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Gabe. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?